witty, thought-provoking, and uplifting Southern Soul Livestream is a program that you'll invite your friends over to watch every week where you'll learn about interesting guests and get to share in their fascinating experiences. Tune in each Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern to connect with guests from across the generations and to laugh with our eclectic hosts who are as charming as they are talented. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's our host, Calvin. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, KD, for getting us started. You know, Doran, you know, we've been planning this conversation for a while, and I'm just so excited because I remember back in the day where KD was referring to, it's like when things got started. And then it's just so awesome that, you know, when I ran into you at the Duke um, event where you were on stage, and, you know, I remember you were speaking, and I was like, wait a minute. I can, you know how when people go from being, you know, in the beginning where they're they're new and maybe green, but now all of a sudden, you know, they got a different wisdom in their eye, right? You were on that stage and you were speaking. I'm like, wait a minute, that brother didn't experience a few things. You know what I mean? So it's that moment I'm like, I got to take Katie's advice and get you on the show. So thank you for being here, man. Yeah, man, definitely a pleasure being here with you both. Like, yeah, you're right about it, man. It's a uh, school of hard knocks um, when you get over that decade. So, yeah, it was definitely a different lens of looking through life. Awesome. Well, let me do this. I'm just going to read. I typically don't read bios, but I think this is a good bio backdrop just to kind of read, because one of the things we're doing in Southern Soul is we have a national audience. And, you know, we know you, you know, you got a strong following in, uh, in Georgia, Atlanta and North Carolina. But we want to make sure that the whole planet, especially the United States, know about the awesome work you're doing. So let me share your background. Let me read this. Dorian Bolden is the CEO and chef, excuse me, chief vision officer for BU Group, which owns and operates several cafes and coffee shops, a locally roasted e-commerce business of retail coffees and prepared meals and catering division through its commercial kitchen hub. In 2005, Doran left a successful career on Wall Street, returning to Durham, North Carolina, to launch BU Cafe making the restaurant a place that fosters culture and community. Through his vision of serving others through food, live music, and community discussions, Doran has collaborated with dozens of local and national organizations to help create community initiatives that have had lasting impact. After successfully opening and operating BU Cafe, in the immediate aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, Doran decided to take on real estate development and transition to property ownership in 2016 by undertaking a 1.4 million development project to relocate their flagship location due to rising costs in downtown Durham. From receiving the Distinguished Service Award by Duke University's Samuel Du Bois Cook Society to gracing the cover of Durham Magazine. Durham is recognized as a community champion. Durham is an alumnus of Duke University where he met his wife, Dr. Tanisha Bolden. They have two children and a family dog, Banner. Welcome Southern Soul to Dorian Bolden. Dorian, how you doing my brother? Hey, I'm good, man. Uh, yeah, Thursday towards the end of the week. Yeah, man, just enjoying the journey. 
Well, you know, let's get started with your origin story, right? We'd like to kind of get started with, like, where you come from, right? So tell us, you know, I understand that you started out in Atlanta, right? Tell us, you know, how you got started. Were you always in the, you know, retail restaurant business? What's your origin story? Where'd you grow up and how'd you end up in Durham? Tell us that, how you got started. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Georgia boy, um, you know, from Decatur, Georgia, right outside Atlanta. So, you know, growing up <clears throat> in Atlanta in the 80s, uh, end up, you know, uh, wanted to find a, a, I guess, came across a, a school I wanted to go to outside of uh, Georgia. And so mentor of mine, you know, took me uh, up 85 North, discovered uh, Duke University and fell in love with the campus. And, you know, and going from kind of an all black environment to a predominantly white uh, university was definitely a, a little bit of a culture shock. And I think that's where, you know, majoring in sociology, uh, study society, class, uh, class, race, gender, and then also an economics major, you know, business, supply and demand. It really shaped the business social part of who I am. Um, but graduated from Duke, went into New York, jumped right into finance. And, you know, kind of watching the movie, um, you know, Wall Street growing up and wanted to be that Gordon Gecko of just chasing money. But, you know, uh, experienced a kind of a heartbreak of a, um, of a life-changing event with my father passing in 2005, you know, and our company was also going through a merger um, at the same time. And so those two events kind of shook me up with my dad passing and then also seeing people who were close to me, mentors um, of mine, lose their job, you know, given a severance package and exited out. And so those two things kind of formulated that I wanted to, you know, be in charge of my own future, uh, but at the same time, realizing tomorrow's not guaranteed. So I, you know, left the world of finance, followed, you know, this pretty girl I met in college. Uh, now my wife, you know, she was in North Carolina, uh, attended medical school, couldn't quite get into, uh, she didn't quite get into the uh, NYU uh, as her first choice. And so it just worked out, followed her and uh, began coming up with this idea that was based off a cool coffee shop concept in Atlanta called Cafe Intermezzo's. Uh, anybody from the A knows that Amazo's been around for Jesus over 40, 45 years now. And, right. <clears throat> you know, when I went into Amazo's, for me, the origin of BU was walking in there in the evenings. And you may, you just saw like this beautiful 16th century, like European cafe, but it was nothing but brothers and sisters from Spelman, Morehouse, Clark, Atlanta, Georgia State, brothers come from Tech, uh, Georgia Tech. I mean, it was just brothers and sisters at night, you know, that's where everybody went. And it was affordable for me to take a date. So I used to take all my dates there. And that was the thing, seeing Blackness in such beauty in this cafe style environment was the inspiration, the origin of what I wanted to create a place where you could just be you and uh, be you cafe. Awesome. I love it. Katie is going crazy because she loves BU Cafe. <laughs> You know, being down in Atlanta, man, it, it's something about that evening night scene, but you call it, right? You know, it's beautiful, it's black, it's excellent, it's it's everything. I didn't realize they had been around for so long, but yeah, I could imagine that because I remember spending some time in Raleigh-Durham. When I first got there, it was a college town, but it was kind of a sleepy city, you know? It was, a, I called it a event city. If somebody had physically planned an event, there was something going on, but not Atlanta. Atlanta was like always something going on. So I love how you kind of really took that idea and that concept to Raleigh Durham because I can only imagine like how beautiful it was when the people received it, right? So tell me this, I'm kind of curious, right? Cause so much has changed. I'm curious, you know, um, 
do you still consider yourself like an entrepreneur today? Like after everything you've done, you know, you two kids in, you know, you, you've done so much. Do you still consider yourself an entrepreneur or have you kind of like a different person now? Yeah, good question. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, definitely I still consider myself an entrepreneur because as an entrepreneur, you're always having to dream and come up with uh, the next big thing and that grind is still there. Um, but you're, it is, I'll say, a more mature uh, and seasoned entrepreneur, kind of what you mentioned earlier about kind of seeing me on the stage. Um, you know, I've had to learn how to go from mom and pop to CEO of a company. And that transition, you know, when you go from just, you know, under 10, you know, 10, 15, you know, employees to where you get up to over 75 team members, um, it's just a different shift. You're not going to know everybody. Uh, you have to rely on other people. And so you really move from just being entrepreneur where it can be me going after a dream to where I'm running a company, I'm running a business and and really more, again, running a company. And that's a different shift sometimes, but that entrepreneurial um, vibe, that entrepreneurial hunger is, is innate. This is in me. Yeah, you can't, you know, you always have to refuel that because that's what has kept me going to try to find the next you know, the next thing. You know, I, I love how you describe that because, you know, it's <clears> the right <throat> thing to do, right? Entrepreneur is almost like, you know, you, you're scrappy, you're in these streets, you're hustling, you're trying to, I call it legal hustling, right? You <laughs> hustle, but you're following the rules, right? But, you know, it's like, but then, you know, there's family and there's responsibility. So I imagine if you've gone through your, like you said, I like the way you describe it from a few employees to actual team members right that transition and i can only imagine what it has taken for you tell me about this let's get into the, the social emotional side tell us about some of your greatest of fears of accomplishment as an entrepreneur as you took that journey right i can only imagine right because i identify as an entrepreneur that it could have been scary at times tell us about some of your experiences any any big moments you know that you really look back on or think about on occasion yeah you know i mean you know, it's sometimes I feel like they become so many, you kind of forget them, uh, all of them, you know, all, of, uh, yeah, the different milestones that I've gone through. Um, but, you know, in the very beginning, I've always went with a, a quote that was like, decide that you want it more than you're afraid of it. And, you know, I think the first thing was, right, just really writing a business plan. Like, it took me forever to kind of write a business plan. It took me over a year. And, you know, my philosophy was always about getting it right the first time. I think it's so easy for entrepreneurs to say what they want to try to rush through. But, you know, the goal was always trying to get everything exact on paper. Um, but I think for me, the, the first fear was being able to overcome, realizing you're not going to know everything. You can't know everything. You just have to step out there. And it's, that's the level of faith. And so for me, that was I still remember that moment of, you know, came across a customer. While I was working at a coffee shop in North Carolina, working my business plan. And we just got to talking and it just was like, you know, had these mustard seeds around his neck. And it was just a reminder, faith is tiny as a mustard seed. And so for me, that was kind of that um, understanding that I just had to overcome my fear and just step out there. You know, other ones was trying to raise capital. It's so easy just wanting to get up, uh, to give up. You know, we were about 85 to 90 percent debt financed. And of course, happening in 2008 when the, the housing crisis, one of the financial crises happened. So being told no over and over and over again. Um, it's disheartening. And I even remember uh, looking to go back into finance when I moved down to North Carolina and started working at a company and was about to go back to my old roots of just, you know, finding clients and becoming a financial advisor. And the second day, 
it just hit me again. Like I saw where I was going to end up that it just wasn't the path for me. And, uh, you know, bowed out graciously saying, Hey, look, I'm sorry, this just isn't meant for me. I'm, you know, supposed to go someplace else. And so I remember having overcome that, that, uh, that hump of trying to find investors and, you know, they call it the power of the mo, you know, power of momentum that, you know, once you get that one investor, then the momentum happens, you get the second and you get the third and then it becomes easier. And so being able to overcome raising capital was the hurdle, you know, going through construction and development of working with architects and trying to build this thing. I like, I don't know, I didn't know jack about uh, construction designs, plumbing, mechanical uh, engineering drawings, like electrical drawings, any of that stuff. So having to figure all that stuff out and learn. Yeah, those, yeah, man, there are so many stories, man. We could, we could probably spend the whole session talking about it. But what I will tell you, though, the one advice that I got from a mentor of mine was, you know, anything you want to learn, you can find in a book. And so often I tell entrepreneurs is that, you know, make sure you're reading up on what you don't know. And if you don't know, find advisors, find people who can, you know, provide insight, provide some guidance on what you need to learn. As they always say, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. And that's so applicable in life. Um, so, yeah, seeking that knowledge. You know, thank you for sharing that. I can tell it's it's quite heartfelt. You know, when I saw you on that stage today, I, that day, I was like, oh, because, you know, in my mind, I was like, you know, you know, I, I can be a bit cynical. I'm like, man, you know, brothers are going to get brand new. They're going to, you know, get successful. And I was like, no, nah, man, he's still himself. You know, he's still, you know, that genuine person. So I was really proud, man. So thanks for sharing those moments because those are real, real nuggets. Those are real jewels, right, that you just blessed the audience with. Thank you for sharing that. We're going to talk about fundraising and venture capital. But first, I want to get to this thing that is one of my favorite things, because here at Southern Soul, we are a community centric brand, right? You know, I've used different terms to describe as podcast is such an old term because it really doesn't accurately describe what we do. Right. You know, more recently, I said, you know what, we're an online learning community. And what we've learned is we have so many people nationally who show up every Thursday night and we've actually nicknamed them the unicorns. They're out there. They're doing their thing. They're hustling. They have followed career and money and they discovered that they're all by themselves. They don't have people who look like them, that they can have an intellectual conversation. They even in big cities like New Jersey. Right. So we have people popping in from New Jersey, from Oklahoma, from uh, uh, Idaho, because they're like, man, I just want to connect with my people. Because, you know, as you can imagine, every place ain't like Atlanta, right? You don't have such rich culture. But I say to say, that's kind of how we show up, right, for that community-centric thing. And for many people, it's like homecoming. I think you understand community because it's it said in your bio how you described it, right? You described the music. You described the community, the discussion, the conversation. So tell me this. This is the question. Some would say you created a community-centric brand, I-centric brand, I say that. But what are your thoughts, right? Do you think, you know, it's important, it's not important? Why did you choose community, right? Was it something in you? Like, because, you know, other people, they can be focused on the dollars first. I'm just kind of curious at why you, a person who you are, just decided to take that community-centric brand. And even if you consider it that, you may consider it something different now. Yeah, um, man, that's a... That's a, yeah, that's a good question, a deep question too. When I think about, um, you know, what makes, you know, every entrepreneur is different in terms of what drives them. And I think if I look at my upbringing and my experience, you know, I've, you know, raised in the church, um, you know, my, my high school, Towers High School, you know, marching band, like it was an all black high school that just had that community, um, which, which is different. You know, it's, it's no different than how people talk about the HBCU experience 
versus sometimes the PWI experience. And so seeing both sides, you know, I got that all black experience in my high school, not necessarily in college, but that community is also rooted in me. And, you know, and it's the irony of me being an only child, I think it's also wanted to create a place that, you know, I felt like I could be around people that I enjoy. Um, and so I've always wanted to create an environment that I enjoy the people that I work with. I, I you know, enjoy the, the customers and the, who come in who are our guests. Um, to the point where, you know, you, you know, if the wrong customer, you know, we have one of our core values, you know, just be you, unless you're an asshole, then be you someplace else. (laughs) Um, and that applies for (laughs) the, that applies for customers and our staff. And so, you know, it's always finding those core values that I think attracts the right people, but, you know, community has been difficult because community and, and, and uh, being profitable, having a business mindset, aren't always, uh, they, they don't, they're not always synonymous. And so it's very hard to try to bridge the two um, because it is easy to get lost in, uh, a, I wanna say a capitalistic mindset, because I do, you know, I'm, of course I'm a fan of, of capitalism, just how I, I look at business, but the lens of capitalism is that money is a byproduct of the service you provide. And I think, you know, COVID was a great example of that, of serving the community during COVID by, you know, finding people that we can, you know, deliver meals to, whether it was frontline responders or uh, kids who um, were on free and reduced lunch, uh, teachers and and others, um, and people who were food insecure, our ability was being able to serve. And as a byproduct, the money comes. And I think as long as you remember that community is a byproduct of of what you're doing in terms of serving, the money will come. And, you know, and I've had my mistakes too. I've gotten lost in that, that same, you know, egocentric kind of money first and, and got lost and had to reset uh, one or two times along the way. So by no means perfect, but yeah, learn now how to reset and understand what's what what should be at the core. You know, I, I love that response, and I tell you why is because, you know, I do some coaching over at the business school and it's one of the things we, we often kind of joke about these business plans. Right. And, and 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 I was working with this one team and they actually are interested in a um, green um, venture, right? You know, composting, things like that. And they're so, so in love, right, with the idea. And as you know, green initiatives can be hard, right? But the problem is, is that it hit me and we went through a few iterations of this and I finally hit them. I said, you know, I think I understand the challenge I have with your business approach or plan. They said, what's that? I said, I think you guys have done a very successful job solving the environmental problem, but you have yet to solve the business problem. And the reason why you guys are in this MBA program is that you're trying to solve business problem, also known as financial, also known as capitalism, also known as how do we stay in business, right? But I like the way you describe it because community is one thing, but it doesn't always make money. Now, now I was listening and reading on the internet and you said this joke that I just love, right? You have to make a decision. Uh oh, you already know what it is. Too. I, I don't even know. I was like, I told you, I just speak freely. So I ain't no telling what the hell I said, but yeah, go for it. Exactly, right? <laughs> and, and I think that, but you were just really talking about that decision where, um, you know, you guys started with live music, right? Or that was a part of your recipe at one point in time, but you had to make a decision, right? And the community didn't like it much, right? So I'm just wondering personally, like, how did that feel? I mean, was it a hard decision? Was it, you know, did, did, because I remember when I started podcasts, I'm like, Calvin, you're getting ready to go back 
on the public eye, you're going to have all kinds of people saying stuff. You talk too fast. You talk too little. You talk too much. It's hard being in a public eye. I'm just wondering when you make that decision, did it, you know, did the backlash kind of startle you? I mean, what was your uh, take on it? Yeah, that, um, you know, you asked earlier about like, what are the, the memorable moments of, of things that I had to overcome? That would by far be one of the top three. Um, the backlash that I received when we discontinued live music. That was uh, that was devastating. You know, I'm not going to lie. That was, you know, you think about you pour your heart and your soul into providing, um, you know, community events, love for the community. And I think how quickly it just turned. Um, and I think we see it every day nowadays in the digital media world. It's so easy for people to comment. You know, it just it, it, it made it all seem a bit superficial. Uh, and so it didn't it kind of didn't make the community um you know, what I, what I believe in community, what I, uh, I guess, what I envisioned, what I felt that we had given the community didn't necessarily feel the same, um, receiving it back. And so, you know, I was talking to one of our, our customers and, um, you know, Dari, we were just chatting out back one day and he helped me realize too, the anger was also a byproduct of something we did really well. Like people were upset because we did it so well. And, you know, when I go back and talk about how, you know, I saw that that look of Catherine and Mezzos and that beauty of Black people in that space. You know, we had provided something that was community. And I recognized taking that away was challenging um, and was was uh, devastating to our community. So, yeah, all in all, you know, when I say regrets, um, I do. That is one of my, my regrets is, is pulling away the music so quickly. You know, I think anybody who says they don't have regrets, and you know, good for them. But I'm like, yeah, I definitely have enough regrets. Uh, things that, you know, uh, life lessons that I would do differently, what I know now, you know, it was still the right decision, especially when I look at where we are now, but I would, I probably would have scaled it back a little bit more slowly. But, you know, again, it's one of those things too, that it thick in my skin. Um, it, you know, I went through a time where, you know, I think I became cold, a little cold as a business owner. And I think that's one thing entrepreneurs have to really be careful. I mean, you see it in the news all the time, right? Tyler Perry went into it, Oprah goes, you know, all those big, you know, sell out or you're not black enough or whatever. I mean, I got it all, you know? And so I think it helped me grow stronger, but also made me realize how to approach things through both a lens of not just rationalizing the decision, making sure it hits the heart, um, and watching the intuition of, you know, what feels right, going with your gut. You can get those three things aligned. You're good. Um, and so I think with this one, it was just wasn't quite thought out in terms of how I, yeah, quickly took it away. But yeah, it definitely was still the right decision. And we're successful. We're even we're more successful now because of that tough, very difficult decision. Well, well kudos to you. Thank you for sharing that moment, because, you know, once again, as I put on that that business land, I'm sitting there, I'm like, man, I can see that was a hard decision. I can see, and I just start strategy, you know, how business guys do, they, we just kind of do this scenario thinking, we're like, I bet this happened, I bet this happened. But I like the way you describe it, right? It's hard, we got to a better place. However, I could have done it differently, but it was still the right thing to do, right? Kudos to you, right? Because, you know, as they say, these things make us stronger, right? So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, you know, I can say too, you know, I always think that, I keep a quote around me um, by Jimmy Iveen, who uh, he, who compares it to the racehorses and how they have those blinders on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he uses different colorful language, but he says, you know, um, I don't care about the person on the right. I don't care about the other person on the left. Um, I have to keep my blinders on and stay focused. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's very easy to be, um, to get dragged into what others think, but that's always gonna be the true testament of an entrepreneur. And that's why I say that intuition and that heart 
is so important where you, you got to really kind of have that that silver star following your gut because if in your gut you feel like that's the right decision you know where you got to go and you can rationalize it because you've done the knowledge and the research and that's in line and then your heart is in the right place and you can sleep like a baby at night hell go no worry about what anybody else says Oh, man, I love it. I love it. You remind me, I was talking to a therapist once and he told me, he's like, don't trust that intuition. I'm like, man, come on, you fired. I ain't never. Went <laughs> right. Understand. That's the good Lord talking. Don't tell me not to trust my intuition. Yeah, man, I fired that buddy. That <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. But it's uh, about uh, intuition. <laughs> Nobody else gets it. Right. But you get it. Right. So kudos to you. Let's talk about fundraising and venture capital. You know, um, I had Brooke Daniels on here um, a few months ago. She was um, a classmate, but um, she's really getting into these 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 funding circles and these, you know, you know, people of color who are building venture capital and, and things. And she really helped me understand that venture capital ain't for the faint at heart. It ain't for everybody. Right. It may sound good. But I was like, whoa, she's like, yeah, if you get into venture capital, you may as well be expecting your business to grow or be they gonna expect you to do a six X or 20 X type growth. And if you can't do that, then you shouldn't even be thinking venture capital. I initially like, yeah, I ain't thinking venture capital. My question is you went from, you know, like you said, death financing, you are growing, you're being successful. Then you get into venture capital, right? Has that been a easy transition for you? Do you feel more comfortable because maybe you're closer to that finance space? How has your world changed since you stepped into that venture capital world? Because initially I was thinking venture capital for apps and technology, but I could never imagine it for a coffee shop, but some kind of way you're doing it, you know, and that's just my opinion. It's not anything researched, but I say this to say you're doing it. Did it change your world? Did it give you any different stress? I mean, uh, yeah, um, in a way, cause you know, we did it, what, 2020. So started looking at the potential of raising capital in 2019. Um, and, you know, again, when you start looking at venture capital and raising and, and raising money, you know, you need to start looking, I mean, if you're lucky, best case scenario, six months, but you probably get more like a year, year and a half, um, because it's about relationships and, you know, and being able to show um, that you have a vision and being able to put the numbers together. And again, like I said before, you know, you get, get told no plenty of times. And so for us, post uh, COVID happening, you know, we had uh, several investors lined up, but a lot of things kind of fell apart with COVID. And luckily, we we're able to bring in um, the core of, of investors that we were looking at. But that was a, a unique experience for me. You know, there are plenty of studies to talk about the inequities, the racial inequalities of, of venture capital and between black founders and black entrepreneurs to white entrepreneurs. And I'll never forget an instance where our uh, lead investor, Resilient Ventures, they're a great uh, venture fund that uh, specializes in black, brown women um, uh, startups in addition to not just in tech. And we were in a meeting where me and a, another um, company were pitching to investors. And at the end of it, there was one, it, and again, all mostly it's all white men uh, with the exception of one white female. Um, and at the end of the meeting, I remember one guy was trying to tell the other company that they should take less. And the managing member of our, our, um, of our, the managing member of our uh, investor, our venture fund was like, why should they take less? Like I've been in these meetings all the time with white investors or white, uh, you know, founders and you easily fund them. And, and these are two great businesses here. And it was at that moment, it hit me where no different than we hear on the news with police officers, you know, shooting innocent black people because they look threatening. It's the same thing with black faces in the boardroom. You're sadly, you're going to look and appear not as smart 
two plus two at PWI is two plus two at HBCU is two plus two at Durham Tech is two plus two coming out of prison. It doesn't matter where you come from. Knowledge is knowledge. Nobody has a monopoly on it. But when you go into these boardrooms, so often they see a black face and it's like, oh, well, you're not as smart or you don't talk this, the way and polish as everyone else. And I was naive, right? I, I had a Duke degree, finance background, been in business for over 10 years. I'm like, well, surely I'm better than any of these, uh, these startups that you coming in here, white, black, whoever. Nah, and it was, and that was that was kind of eye opening for me to see things differently. And so there's a little bit of a game to raising venture capital where you really do have to have a remarkable product, something that's gonna yell, scream, that's gonna be able to, um, yeah, multiply and scale. You know, like you said, twenty x um, quickly. And so you have to just have a different mindset of how do you want to see your business growing? Because again, this isn't. A, this isn't, you know, this a startup type business. This, you, you know, you need to grow a company and something that can really scale. And so that's team members, that's sales, that's marketing. Yeah, it's just a different mindset. And if you're interested in that, then yeah, venture capital can be a way for it. Otherwise, you may want to just look at angel investors, and that's what we did. We we found one venture um, investor, and then a lot of angel investors, uh, credit investors who could put in anywhere from twenty twenty five thousand, and just go that route as well. So. Yeah, that was our story, how we did it. And if we decide to scale more, then we'll revisit that and do another series round. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing this wisdom on that. I'm getting to the end of the question. So I just got two things. I'm going to combine them to one and then we give Katie to ask a few questions because she always left to have the last question, by the way. But, um, you know, just think <laughs> about next steps for you. I mean, you, you, you definitely have already enough that you can write a few books on your experiences. Right. But, you know, I, I know a man that thinks he's often thinking about his legacy you know, what's next. So I guess my question for you is what's next, right? You know, you know, um, as a father, as a husband, when you think about your legacy, I mean, do you want your children, you know, to be encouraged to be entrepreneurs? Do you want something different for them? Based on the success you've seen, you know, the pains, ups and downs, what's next for Dorian? What's next for your family? What's next for BU Coffee Cafe? And, and it's not even good, fair to call you guys coffee because you guys are so much, you're an enterprise now. So, you know, I apologize for that. So what's next for you guys? So, you know, looking at how we've been able to uh, kind of reshape ourselves during COVID, where we, you know, we now have a, a commissary hub where we, you know, bake our pastries in-house. Um, we're able to produce a lot of our own, our own food. Uh, we're going to be launching our coffee on Amazon um, in the next couple of months. And, you know, we're selling our coffee, our brand that people love BU. So we have our coffee at other locations that we're, uh, we're starting to put our coffee into. And so um, when I think about entrepreneurship and, and, and just growth, for us, it's trying to find smarter ways of um, really looking at the coffee side of our business, of pushing our coffee wholesale, of course, looking at opening additional retail stores. So we're opening two locations um, at uh, RDU International Airport, which we're hoping to look at by February, one in Terminal 1, one in Terminal 2, both of them former Starbucks. And so being able to go into the airport has been just a huge blessing and a dream of mine for, man, like five years. And that is a long, long process. Um, and so when I think about legacy, right, for me is also how do we look at, um, you know, bringing somebody in either after me or if it's my kids, you know, because I'm not necessarily wanting to say, hey, they have to come into the business and run it. I really want them to enjoy whatever they whatever it is that they they love doing. Um, and be able to earn a great living at it. There are plenty of people <clears throat> who are not meant to be entrepreneurs. Like everyone doesn't have to be an entrepreneur. Some people it's like, hey, 
be go out there and make that money and be an investor for an entrepreneur who has that hunger. And I think so often we we miss out and we forget about we need the, the, the investors. And so, yeah, I would say for them is earn a great living and do something you love. And that's the other crazy part about me is I guess I am a workaholic because I love what I do. So it doesn't seem like work. And if you can find the balance in all of it, um, you know, for me is, you know, being able to take my kids to Jamaica for the first time, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And that was a dream of mine to be able to uh, take them to Jamaica. You know, that was my first time out of the country after my dad died in 2005. So, yeah, the, it's really about finding balance, I think, as, a, as an entrepreneur. And yeah, and just seeing where BU can go. I love it. I love it. More of being you is what I just heard. Be you is what he wished. You know, what I think I love, Katie, is that we will now be able to support BU Cafe, even though we're down here in Atlanta, because they're going to be on Amazon. They're going to be everywhere. They probably got products now that we don't know about. So, Doran, make sure you keep us in the loop of all of the things you guys, because I like you guys started, you know, in one place. Now you guys are enterprise. You're all over the place, man. Thank you for being here. You know, yeah. and one thing I will to kind of forget to tell you is that we are looking to help. How do we help build other uh, entrepreneurs? And so as we think about growing our retail stores, it's also about franchising. And that's a really big one for us. And so because we looked at this model, um, either end of 2023 or 2024, we're in talks now to create kind of that upward pathway and that mobility. So you don't have to go through what I had to go through of trying to figure it out. But if you have the talent, the skill set, the work ethic, hey, here's a blueprint to how you can create a profitable, a profitable model and be your own business owner. And so, yeah, we're coming up with some creative ways to help brothers and sisters um, to do it in a way that even can come out either debt free. Um, yeah, but can really talk about building wealth and upward mobility in our community. OMG, Katie, you know, I love franchises. I love franchise model. And I know that I've been telling you that there's this other coffee shop out there who are franchising and the young gifted and black are buying it left and right. We won't talk about them, but I'm telling you, I love that. I love it. So Doran, thank you for being you. Go ahead, Katie. Um, go ahead and close us out. We're actually um, five minutes over, which is okay, but I want to get let Doran get back to his life, you know, so he can be you. Um, be himself. I've been enjoying it. This has been dope. Sure. Dorian, I got one quick question. Um, I will tell you, Durham is my favorite place that I have ever lived. And I am curious if you can share with those of us that are here, why Durham was the right place for you to open up the kind of business that you did. When we talk about community, when we consider the kind of environment we want, I think all of us, when we create a, when we create a business, we think about where we wanna do it. So tell me what in particular it was about Durham that made it the right place for your concept. Yeah, great question. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny, when I think about my upbringing going from um, all black high school to predominantly all white university, um, that kind of shaped my, my mindset. And when I was in New York is when I saw it was less about black and white, but more about, um, African, African-American, Dominican, Irish, Catholic, Italian, like it was more about the ethnicity of it all. And I wanted to try to find a way to bring people together And Durham in North Carolina was just perfect. When you look at the history and the legacy of black wall street, it was going through an amazing growth period, uh, back in 2003 you know, nine when we opened, but even before that, you could see the growth happening. It reminded me of Atlanta uh, a decade or two earlier. 
And and what I love most was then you had HBCU with Central North Carolina Central University uh, on one side, you had Duke University on the other side. Um, you had a black mayor at the time uh, with Mayor Bill Bell, and you had this huge uh, pocket of just uh, community activists and people who were very involved. Um, but you also had the business community, you had people who were coming in that wanted to create the kind of the startup sort of feel. So you had just a lot of pockets and it was just authentic. Uh, that reminded me of Atlanta. And so while other people in the triangle, triangle tend to look at Durham as the ugly stepchild, Durham and everyone from Durham loved Durham. And it's like, we, you know, it was this kind of this, um, yeah, this, this grit that you had being from Durham that you knew it was so unique and popular. And so it was just a perfect fit for us um, as home base as our flagship for BU Cafe. So yeah, uh, four, four retail locations later and, soon six by next by early next year man we're this is still home it is that's fantastic to hear and i will tell you that you have outdone cafe intermezzo i remember back in the day when you're talking about it and 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 you upped the game you truly did dorian congratulations to you yeah hey, thank you dorian yeah, don't I, be too nice those I, big shoes right there boy <laughs> yes 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 indeed and i'm serious don't let Katie fool you. Let, I just told her yesterday that you stopped doing the music. Boy, she got so mad. So no, she I didn't. Nice to did. <laughs> she said, no, he didn't. I said, yes, he did, girl. Dory got rid of the music. But uh, Dory, my brother, thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. Thank you for continuing to believe in some of your core, your core principle as community and supporting and being here. So man, thank you for being you. I know it's hard, but I just want to let you know that we here at Southern Soul, we appreciate you, man. We see you. And even though we're not around, man, we're looking forward to supporting you when, you know, you show up on Amazon, you show up in different places. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me and, and yeah, allowing me to share this message and the voice and hopefully help others. That's what it's about. You know, learn one, teach one. You know? Awesome. Welcome, welcome, people, to Southern Soul. If it's your first time at Southern Soul, well, welcome. You know, we've been grooving today. OMG, we had a unique lineup tonight. We started at 6.30, first time. But, you know, you got to try something different. We had Mr. Dorian Bolden out of Raleigh-Durham dropping knowledge, pearls, consistent pearls of wisdom about what it means to evolve from a coffee shop to a, on his journey to becoming a franchisee. Man, it's just, just like crazy exciting because you know if you spent some time in Raleigh Durham Chapel Hill you had the opportunity to see this grow when it was like oh I know that dude from over there and all of a sudden he's doing his thing so it's so 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 beautiful y'all thank you for joining us at Southern Soul Livestream Talk Show join us weekly at soullivestream.com if you're joining us live we'll take a quick music break and then come back for a discussion with the audience <laughs>